Welcome, everybody, to the Nuggets of Gold podcast. Today, I'm here with Jordan Elliott. Jordan, do you want to say hi to everyone real quick? Yeah, hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so today, me and Jordan are going to be going over Jaquaski Tart, talking about him potentially returning to the 49ers. Um, along with him, I'll be having some segments posted in the consecutive days. If you're not listening on podcasts, if you are listening on YouTube and you want to hear all those segments right away, make sure to check out the podcast segment. That will be in the description. Um, but we're also going to be talking about Kyle Juszczyk coming back and then about the 49ers center position, what to do there. We're going to bring up Alex Mack. We're going to bring up Corey Lindsley, and then we're going to talk about Ben Garland as well. But let's get into Jaquaski Tart. There was, I guess you could call it a rumor, basically. Javi, if you guys know Javi, he basically said that he would like to see him back. Um, and I just wanted to touch on it because I haven't really brought up Jaquaski at all. I didn't really think that it almost seemed that they had kind of like mutually parted ways, um, the 49ers and him. But I've always liked Jaquaski. I think that he can be a player that is a really solid starter. Now, I think the big question with him is injury. But before we get into like the injury concerns with him, Jordan, I'll let you go. What do you feel about Jaquaski Tart? Do you like the idea of him coming back to San Francisco? Uh, I think the main thing when you're evaluating any of these guys being re-signed uh, is cost analysis because, as we know now, the cap's going to be at 182.5, down about $16 million from the 198 it was at last year. And the thing that we need to you know take into account, because people might just think, okay, well, $16 million isn't like a crazy, you know, it's a decent chunk of money, but it's not crazy big. The way that the cap has been going is that it, it increases a certain percentage based on the revenue brought in in the NFL being the very successful business it is, has been increasing its revenue year after year. So as we all know, it's been about a year now, actually almost to the day since the world kind of stopped with everything going on with coronavirus and the pandemic and all the things going on. Um, so nobody really planned for that. That obviously blindsided a lot of us and the NFL is no exception. So a lot of these teams in 2018, 2019, when they were signing extensions, when they were re-upping players, when they were building models on how they were gonna build their team and you know applying the philosophy, that they felt good about they were count that you know you never want to count on it because you never really know but there was kind of a an assumption that you could get a little more flexibility down the line because the cap was steadily increasing for so many years so this puts a lot of teams in a really bad position because now they're in a at a point where they thought that they had a player that they could keep because they backloaded money or they signed him to a deal where they're pushing signing bonuses and things around so that the, that money would have came when that cap increased but now with the cap decreased you're going to see a lot of guys like a Jaquaski Tart who are very talented and very good football players, but maybe at a position or in, uh, you know, at a point in their careers where teams are just not willing to take the amount of money that it's going to cost to keep them and apply it to that position. And rather, they'd rather, you know, put those resources in another area. Um, I think that Tart is a very good football player, first of all. I think that he has demonstrated his value tremendously while he's been on the field. Uh, he's been a very good complement to Jimmy Ward, and they have formed a very formidable duo on the back end. Uh, I think that he, he provides great value against the run game, too. Uh, he's really good covering tight ends, covering guys in the slot uh, when they drop him into zone. Very long, very athletic, uh, a very good tackler. And I think that there is a noticeable difference that you can look at when he's on the field and off the field at how the way, you know, the defense performs. The only issue that I would have is because he's played so well, he's rightfully earned, uh, you know, a fairly sizable payday in my opinion. And I know that this year is going to be a little different. We, we keep hearing, we might see guys taking one year deals that normally wouldn't. 
Uh, they might be guys taking a little less money than they normally would just because there is such a lack of resources due to the cap decreasing. So for me, it just comes down to how much money is it going to cost? And is that cost going to affect your ability to have flexibility at other positions? And the main, the main priority for me for the 49ers is making sure that they find a way to lock up Trent Williams. So as long as these other resigns that they have, not just, and that doesn't mean that other players shouldn't be a priority and they shouldn't feel um, like they are going to be taken care of too. But I just would want it to be a deal where, you know, if you wanted to come back on a one-year deal for, you know, six and a half, seven million, something like that. Like if they could make it work, I would be okay with it. If it was up to me though, and again, this is no disrespect to, to Tart, I think he's so good. And I think the reason that it becomes an issue for me is because he's played so well that he's priced himself out of where I would feel comfortable paying him. And that doesn't mean he doesn't deserve the money. It just means that I think the 49ers in their state would be better to maybe address that position in the draft, maybe find a cheaper free agent that's out on the market. Um, and I, I don't think that it necessarily means that it would be an immediate upgrade because again, Tart is a very good player, but it might help them more in the long run. Um, a guy that I'm very high on is I really like Trayvon Marig out of TCU. And I think that he has this kind of positionless mold where he can play in the box, he can play in the slot, he can cover guys. He almost plays like a cornerback at times, but he has the instinct in the box to uh, make big plays. And I think that having him gives you the ability to run a little bit more too high safety looks. Uh, and you have two guys on the back end and him and Ward that would have just tremendous range, tremendous instinct. Uh, so if they find a way to maybe trade back in the first round, I think he's going to end up somewhere in the you know late teens, early 20s. I would be okay with that, but... Ultimately, it just comes down to what he wants. Like, I can talk for hours, but it just comes down to what he wants money-wise. And he definitely has the right to feel he's worth a certain amount of money based on the fact that the team does look much better when he's out there. My biggest concern is that if we're going to make a big deal about making sure the quarterback's healthy, that should apply to other positions as well. And Tart has had some issues with durability. And I think a lot of that is because of how hard he plays and how physical he really can be. So it really just comes down to money for me. So I'd like him back at the right price, but if he gets paid what I think he deserves to get paid and what he's earned to get paid, I would let another team pay him and wish him well on his way. And that's again, with no ill will, you know, no disrespect to Tart. He's, he's earned a certain amount of money. And I think that he should get that. And if another team is going to be the team to do it, then I wish him nothing but good things. Yeah. I like that. I like that you bring up this kind of cost analysis uh, thought process to it all, because we were talking before, you, you bring up Kyle Juszczyk, which we will in a second, but also Kwasi Tart, Alex Mack, Corey Lindsley, Ben Garland, all these guys. The big issue around it is, well, how much are they going to, how much are they going to cost? How long do they want to be signed? Is this a guy that you can backload a contract? Is this a guy that's worth it to backload a contract? And that's where it becomes kind of difficult. Um, Jaquaski Tart, I think we might see him, and this is unfortunate to him, but I feel like if this isn't a pandemic offseason, he's getting a three to four year contract somewhere else and else. And he's probably making six to seven a year just based on how he's played. And you did bring up the, the injuries, but this is, I mean, you brought up, he's played really, really well. And you can't deny that when he's on the field, his impact is huge. I know we were talking about the 2019 defense and you were bringing up how a lot of people like to bring up, Oh, when D Ford's on the field, look how much better the defense was. Well, people, you can also bring that up about Jaquaski Tart because that secondary really clicked when he was on the field and you saw them. And, and also, I think a lot of it too is for being a box safety, Kwasi Tart, he has a lot more responsibility than when Marcel Harris is on the field. 
you see him, you see him in a lot of coverages where he'll be on one side of the field and they'll have to, he'll have to completely get across the field. And he's asked to do a lot. Um, and he helps the defense quite a bit, but it also, it's just a cost thing. I, I, I think that's where it's really gets difficult because on one level, it's like, okay, this guy is extremely valuable to the defense, but can we afford to pay him? And that, that's going to be the question. I think we're going to ask this with every single guy that we talk about today, just because the salary cap is so difficult. But do you think that Kwaski Tart, like if it wasn't this off season, that he would be pretty much gone because someone else is like, Hey, I'll give you three, three years, 20 million, three years, $23 million. And you get to be our starting safety for the next three years. Or do you think that's not necessarily like entirely about the pandemic off season? No, I think it definitely factors in because if the cap's going up, even if the cap's staying the same, like that sixteen million makes a huge difference. That's a, that's a, that's a couple starters. That's a difference in, in money and in retaining a couple players. I think the 49ers would be in a much better position to retain them if that ended up happening, uh, and they probably still could be. I know I I would have very I would be very surprised if the 49ers were just you know hey you know go go get your money we don't want you like I would be shocked if they weren't working tirelessly to try to keep him because I think that they're very aware of how important he is to that defense. Especially the thing you have to look at too is that right now they don't have any corners on the roster. If I recall, I think I think they literally don't have a single corner on the roster. If I'm not mistaken, they might have a couple guys on the practice squad, but on the active roster, I'm pretty sure there isn't one. I think they have like a couple restricted free agents, and that's yeah. pretty much it. So they need to make sure that they have some kind of continuity on the back end. Obviously, Jimmy Ward's going to be there next year. Jimmy Ward's very good. If there is. Uh, if the route is that they're gonna they're gonna take is maybe they find a, a budget guy in uh, free agency, um, a name I've floated out, and uh, you know if anybody's familiar with Jason Aponte, he did a really good piece on AJ Bouye, who was really good for the Houston Texans, then went to Jacksonville, obviously, and then was in uh, Denver the last couple of years as a guy who might be able to come in. Uh, I know that there was some rumors that there was some interest there from both parties. Uh, so if they were to get a guy like a Bouye in free agency, and then draft a guy in the middle rounds. Or bring back Emmanuel Mosley. Um, it would be good to have more strength on the back end just to make sure that there is some kind of continuity because of the fact they've had a top five defense the last couple of years. Obviously, things change, players die, uh, regress, um, things, you know, you, you can't stay elite forever. But you, if you have a good formula, you know, my, one of my favorite sayings if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Uh, so I think that if they are able to bring him back, there, it would shock me if they were if they were like you know we, we could allocate the resources but we're just gonna let them like you know they're 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 not blind to the fact that he's very important to what they want to do so um, I would be I would be thrilled if he came back truthfully I just if if it's me and I remove my fandom and my appreciation for his play and I'm just looking at it purely from a team building standpoint I would trade back get the extra capital and then take a safety and the you know like I said if I, if it then that is contingent on being able to pull a deal like that off, but in a, in a dream scenario, if they're able to move back to like 19 or 20 and take Mauric out of TCU, I would feel very comfortable doing that. But again, on the flip side, as good as I think that the player is, based on my own evaluations, you know that Jaquiski Tart is very good. So it's kind of like, you know, you can get cute and like want to build through the draft and get, you know, uh, cut costs and make sure you have the money to pull around. But at the end of the day, it is, there is some value to having a proven commodity that you know is going to not only succeed at the NFL level, but succeed in your system, have good chemistry with the players on your defense. And I think that that value can't really be understated. And I, again, I'm sure the 49ers are more than aware of that. 
Yeah, and look at you. You brought up like the corner position of of AJ Boyer and bringing bringing these guys in. Uh, also, the other edge spot, the the spot opposite Bosa, I think is a more a, a spot where it's smarter to allocate cap like cap space into. Just when you look at this draft class and you go, okay, where is this? I guess like the weakness of the draft class. Well, the edge class and the interior defensive line class isn't super spectacular. Um, there's not like these top end guys and there's not, I don't think there's a guy at 12 that I just absolutely love. I would rather them. And, and then you look at the free agent class also, and there's a ton of names on the free agent class. I know I've talked about Carl Lawson a lot on, on this channel, and that's the guy that I would like them to go after the most, but there's still a ton of other guys that you could go after. And even a Hassan Reddick on, on that side, like there's a lot of other guys where if they decided, hey, we're going to let Kwaski, we're not going to sign Kwaski because we feel that we can find a guy like it was uh, Trayvon Mari. That was the name, right? I haven't, I haven't looked at him too much, so I don't know a ton about him. But say that they believe he is a starter and they go up and they're going to get him either late first or early second or wherever it is, and they're able to get him and they like they are in a position where they're co confident that they're going to be able to land him, and then they spend their money on an edge guy. And they're like, hey, Kwaski, like, it's more of just we can build a better team by doing this. Yeah, I think that's pretty much good for, for talking about Kwaski. So let's move on to one of the most the, the most fun players on this team, uh, the fullback, Kyle Juszczyk. Love Juszczyk. He's been, I've seen him on, on many interviews. So if you haven't been checking out the Kyle Juszczyk content this offseason, it's been really cool. Um, it's also been really interesting because he's really close with Kyle Shanahan. Um, really close with a lot of these guys in the 49ers uh, coaching staff and also just a lot of the players. Um, he's also opened up about potentially leaving in free agency, and he, he doesn't he doesn't get something that he would do. Um, I don't think anyone really wants to see Kyle Juszczyk leave. He's been, uh, he's been spectacular since he's been here. But do you like the idea of paying a fullback, especially when it, the cap room is so tight? Absolutely not, but I think that there is some nuance required where you can look at it and notice that Kyle Juszczyk, while he does play fullback and that is actually where he gets a lot of the value, a lot of his value is derived from how good he is when they're coming out in these uh, 22 personnel looks uh, and they're coming out in these um, uh, where he's not a traditional full, like he can line up in line opposite of George Kittle in a 22 personnel look, which is traditionally with your two tight end set, but he's not a tight end obviously, which is why I look at him more as a, offensive weapon because it really does create some kind of confusion when you can line them up in line and you can have them opposite Kittle on the line of scrimmage, flanking one of the tackles, moving back inside uh, to lead block for one of the running backs. And what it does, what, what you said really does for me that, or not for me, but like what, it, what it really drives his value up for me, I should say, because he's doing it for all of us as 49ers fans uh, is he makes the defense kind of, he dictates what you can put what you have to put out on the field as a defensive coordinator. He is so good at that lead blocking role where he's lining up in the backfield, where he's lining up on the line of scrimmage, where in the run game he's going to be just an absolute menace blocking, especially when he gets to the second level. But he also is a very fluid route runner. He has solid hands. Uh, you know, we saw like I was very fortunate enough. I was in Seattle for that game uh, a couple years ago, the Week 17 game, and he had a play where I think it was Michael Kendricks who he beat. But they had him uh, motion out to the slot, and he basically was, you know, out there just as a slot receiver. And he cooked a linebacker up the sideline for a big game. Jimmy threw a dart to him. It was a very good throw, very good catch, you know, great play all around. But there's not many fullbacks that you can just kick out 
that are going to run a route like that while also having the physicality and the strength to block the way he does. Um, I do think that this past season was unfortunately probably not one of his shining moments in regards to how good he is at blocking. 2019, if you go back to that, yes, it was. And I think a lot of it does have to do with the fact there was a revolving door running back this past year. The offensive line didn't have very much continuity because of injuries and other you know various issues. So my whole thing with Ustek is I, you can't pay him nearly what he was getting paid this past contract. When they brought him in, the 49ers had a boatload of cap space. They were trying to rebuild the culture. They wanted to bring in a guy, a high-character guy who was going to work his butt off like Ustek has and does. And it was it was justifiable at this point. You can't pay him. I think he was getting like six million a year or something like that. Was what what his deal was originally. Um, I'd feel more comfortable around three and a half, maybe four, if you really like. If that's what it takes to get it done. Um, there's a couple guys I like in the draft uh, that could potentially fill that role. If unfortunately the the money wasn't going to work and they didn't want him to, you know, didn't want to pay that for the offensive weapon, fullback, whatever you want to call him. Uh, Tommy Tremble out of Notre Dame is very interesting because he's technically a tight end, but he's done a lot of the same stuff you, uh, Juice has done, where he's lining up in line, he's lining up um, in the backfield, he's lead blocking for guys on outside zones. Um, he he probably is going somewhere in the late third, maybe early fourth, if I had to guess right now. So if the 49ers feel comfortable spending that compensatory pick they got, or maybe their fourth rounder if they're fortunate enough to be there when he falls, maybe they make that move, but... I what about, think. Uh, what oh, about sorry, Josh go. Josh Hokett? I so I haven't seen nearly enough of him. He's been stashed on the practice squad this past year. I saw his college tape. He looks, you know, he's, he's he looks like he could be a lead blocker. He could be a guy, but he's more of just like a football. Like I would have a hard time asking him to do what Uzcheck does. And I think that the versatility that Uzcheck brings, along with his intellect, like there's so much more to the game of football than just being big and strong and fast and get you know getting yourself in the right spot is so important. And that's one thing that I think Juszczyk brings, especially when he's blocking in the run game, is getting into the gap, getting in position, and sealing off running lanes is really an understated skill, in my opinion. Um, and I think that Juszczyk has this ability, again, to not only do that, but he also is a threat where defenses have to account for him. And when you're forcing a defense in this day and age, to trot out a base defense, whether it's the 3-4, 4-3, whatever they're running, and you're forcing them to put more linebackers out on the field, put more run-stuffing defensive alignment on the field, it ultimately creates bigger mismatches for you in the passing game. And again, like I said earlier, as you've shown, you can get him on an island against a linebacker, and he's going to consistently beat them because he's not only very strong, he's also got a lot of finesse to him and a very fluid uh, route runner for somebody who does play fullback. Um, so... You know, a couple of months ago, I was like, they can't pay a fullback this. Like, they can't do it. But the more and more I th I, I'm thinking about it objectively, he does do more than a traditional fullback does. The, the only issue that I would say you could bring up or, you know, a counterpoint to it is he's only on the field for a certain amount of snaps. He's definitely – he's on the, I think it's like 30%, 35% of the snaps or something. Like that. I don't have to double check. Pardon me for not having the exact number. I, but I think he's been between, like, 30 to 45 and it, it's varied every season that he's been on the team. Yeah, so it's that's where it gets kind of tough. But again, it, it's also another situation where he's a very, you know, he's a Harvard guy. Uh, he's a very cerebral player, very smart individual. Uh, the, the intensity that he plays with, the energy he gives off, like you want those high character guys on your team. And while to me, production is the most important thing you can um, bring to the table, 
I do think that having that kind of high character guy, that voice in the locker room is very important to a team and very important when you are having to bring in a lot of young guys because you're going to be up against the cap. You're going to be in a situation where the, we don't know what it's going to look like for the next couple of years in terms of where the cap's going to be at. And having that steady voice in the locker room to set the tone for work ethic, leadership, all those things. Like, yeah, you can't quantify it. So it's a little hard, especially for somebody like me who's a stats nerd who loves breaking down value and, um, you know, advanced analytics and all these things. You can't really put a price or a number on leadership and how important it is. So, again, that's another thing. I don't want to give you the same answers for all these, but again, it's another thing where it's just if the money's right, if it's somewhere between three and a half, like four would be the highest I'd really be willing to go. Uh, maybe they build in some kind of incentives or something. Um, I, I would be really bummed to see him go, but I would totally understand if they were to pivot and let him go because, unfortunately, if you're looking at things from strictly a positional value, even in that offensive weapon role, it might not be the most valuable position I don't say it might not. It definitely certainly isn't the most valuable, but it might not be in your plans because you're forced to pivot due to the lack of financial flexibility. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, I I want to hit on a couple things that you said there. I think the first thing that really caught my eye that you said was you're talking about the personnel and how the defense has to match Kyle Uzcheck, and I love that you brought that I'm that I'm we're having this discussion today because about three or four hours ago I was just talking about this with with another one of my buddies about how like okay like everyone emphasizes this number 21 11 personnel 12 personnel and my thought was why does this number matter so much when you have when player such as Kyle use check where they're very versatile where you say oh this guy's a running back or this guy's a tight end like that was my question to him and he said the way I view it is you don't you're not viewing it as like the number of a 12 but more about the total number in those situations. So for the defense, they know they have to match a guy that can cover Kyle Juszczyk. That's around the same size. But if you have a guy that and you run a 21, but your fullback can shift out and play tight end, that is extremely valuable. And you brought up the one-on-one mismatches with linebackers. I the the play that he that always I always get reminded of is where he runs a little wheel route and he's wide open every time because a linebacker gets stuck with him and he toasts him. It seems like he does it routinely, but that's like his big play in the passing game. Also, you brought up how he's very just versatile. Um, and I'm sorry, what was the player from Notre Dame's name? I'm totally blanking on him. Oh, Tommy Trumbull. Yeah, and you said that he could kind of play that same role. Um, and that's and that's what Kyle Juszczyk did at Harvard, um, where he's he was more of a, even a tight end at Harvard, but he was able to kind of convert a little bit and get a little bigger and play fullback. Um, I think that versatility, especially in Kyle, Kyle's offense, is really important. I think the snap count, while I do think it's definitely something worth monitoring. I mean, if a guy's only playing however many snaps, that's always going to be a part of the discussion, like how much is he actually playing. But I do think that on a lot of plays. Um, and especially when you have uh, when he's the the lead blocker either in an I formation or in a king or queen formation, and and he's that first guy. A lot of times he is maybe the most important player on the field for a given play, and so I think that's something that's tough to kind of like quantify. Is like okay, well if he's only on the field for thirty five percent of the time, well maybe fifteen percent of those times he is the guy that makes the play, and if you replace him, that might not be happening, or the playbook might be limited. So I think there is that aspect to it. But I also agree, like, it's hard if if it's, all right, we're going to have to pay, you know, a handful of these guys, and we're deciding to pay a fullback over a starting corner, 
and then we see the number two corner get torched all year, that is not a good move for the 49ers. But if if I and this is something that I you brought up like being a leader and stuff, I think there's a very good chance that Kyle Juszczyk comes back relatively cheap and and maybe even on a one year two or three million dollar deal. I know that sounds incredibly cheap. I think that there's a possibility that he does that. He's already made really good money as a fullback. He's an incredibly smart person. And whenever I've watched him in an interview, and I don't know why it's him this year, but I've definitely watched him more than any other 49er in an interview this offseason. It's all about winning. It's all about just loving the game, being happy where he's at. Um, And I just think that he's going to value that a lot more than many other NFL players. And so that's why I'm excited. I mean, I would love to see him back. But if someone offers him two years, $12 million, I don't think that the 49ers should match that. I don't think that's something – I don't think that's a smart move on their part. But I, I do I do agree with you on, on a lot of that stuff there. Yeah, and the thing that you have to keep in mind too is the, the value that he has. Like I said, the, the thing that I always come back to is a personnel thing, especially now that they kind of have uh, – you know. Because the tight end position, I'm really happy they brought Dwelly back. Uh, I think Dwelly is very underrated. He has very solid hands, very good player. Uh, but the most value they might get actually might be out of 21 personnel formations where you're going to have two running backs, one tight end, two wide receivers. And then you have Debo and Ayuk you have to account for as a defense. You have George Kittle you have to account for. And then you also have a Mostert of Jeff Wilson behind a Kyle Juszczyk. Like it just creates so much variance to what the 49ers are running. You have no clue what's coming. Uh, they could sell a run play really well drift off to a play action. They might have one of those two receivers running motion. Like I said, you could then kick out uh use check into a like, you know, inline tight end role in a sense, like in, in that same sort of position. Uh, it just, it gives you so much flexibility and it makes it very hard because if a defense trots out a nickel defense, or if they run out, you know, a, a defense that's more tailored for stopping the pass, the Niners could have proven they can just run all over teams. And I think that, you know, like that green Bay game was a masterpiece in the championship game a couple years ago where they just literally said, we're going to come out here, we're going to we're gonna run the ball down your throat, and we're going to dare you to stop us, and the Packers just couldn't do it. And a lot of that was due to having players like Juszczyk, having players like Kittle, having these guys that are very skilled at a lot of things, but they're just mean, you know, tough guy, tough blockers when it cuts down to it. I'm not saying they're mean people. I'm saying, like, when, it, when it, you're they're on the field, they get in that spot where they're going to have to take on a guy and open up those running lanes. They've proven they can do it very effectively, so – yeah, I, I would I would love to have him back. Again, it just comes down to price. I'm not overpaying for a fullback no matter how many different things they do. I'm not overpaying for a guy who has only a you know certain amount of snaps that he's going to play in a given season just based on the role that he plays. Uh, again, a few years ago, they were totally in a position to do that. They had the cap space. They weren't a very good team. They could afford to overpay for those character high-character guys that come in. And, you know, you have to think, well, again, there's no number that we can point you to quantify for it. I, you'd have to speculate that Kyle Juszczyk and his, uh, you know, leadership, his presence in that locker room and in that franchise the last few years has definitely helped them turn around the culture that we've seen the last couple of years. Uh, so it ultimately comes down to just a price thing. I don't want to keep saying the same thing over it, but it really does just come no, down it's, to dollars and it, cents at the end of the day. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. And, and that's just, I think that's not even the 49ers this offseason, but I think that's every single NFL team. I think that's everyone covering the NFL in, in media. It's just like, hey, like, there's a lot of unknown. There's so much unknown. And the the date that had kept being brought up over and over again was, hey, just wait till March 10th. And the whole point about that was a ton of guys are going to get released. Well, guess what? Yesterday, March 10th, a ton of guys got released. Like that's that's something that we've seen. So I think a lot of guys, I think a Kyle Juszczyk, he might be one of the 
the players that waits till doesn't sign in that like first week of free agency, but we don't see him sign for three or four weeks. Cause he's just kind of feeling it out. Like, okay, I have these four offers. One of them is the 49ers. Two of two of the other ones are, are for a lot more money, other places. But if I can come back to the Niners, I can win. I can come back for one year. And then maybe even, maybe even improves his value going into next year. Cause you did bring up that this year, the, the film wasn't quite as good in the, in the run game as it was in 2019, where we saw, we saw the 49ers offense just as a whole, absolutely dominate in the run game for the majority of the season. So I, I think there's a lot of value to Kyle use check to come back here, but overall it's, it's going to be down to the cost, like you said, and we've reiterated that many times, but that's just how it is. With all that said, I think it's time to move on to the, the final topic of, of this episode with you, Jordan. I want to say thanks again for coming on. This has been an awesome time. But the center position, what do you think the 49ers should do there? So the center position, um, one of my favorite philosophies with this, from evaluating centers, uh, Sam Monson of PFF has a really good take that I've kind of, you know, adopted my own thinking in the same way. He constantly says the center position is not a big deal until you don't have one. Um, it's a position where if you just have an average guy, a league average player who can come in, stay healthy, contribute enough you know they're not going to be a game wrecking you know devastating in the run game you know stalwart pass protector but just a decent average player you're probably not too worried about the center position it's not a position where you're like wow we really have to get better here uh i think the 49ers saw with the revolving door they had at the interior offensive line this last year it may be magnified how important it is to have a center uh in that spot i think that ben garland played very well in the five games that he did play he just unfortunately got hurt I think he, if I recall correctly, he came into the year with a high ankle sprain he suffered in training camp. So we started the year off already hurt on just, you know, injuries happen. It's unfortunately part of the game. But the way I'm looking at the 49ers center position is I, I don't think, so I don't think center is really a, a huge need. I think that they could get a guy like Garland. They could get a guy. There's players out there they could get. There's a couple guys in the draft I really like that could play that interior line spot that could rotate between center guard, whatever you need to plug. Um, I'm far more worried about right guard, um, but in terms of the center, I think that getting continuity for any position along the offensive line is going to give your offense a much better chance to succeed because of how reliant offensive linemen are on one another and, ha and knowing the guy next to you is going to be in the right spot and getting used to tendencies and knowing that you know you can trust the man next to you really is kind of an undervalued thing. And I think that the Niners are in a position where if they really look at the center position and they're like, we, we need some stability here, I could totally see it. And then the other thing is the center position in the offense that Kyle Shanahan runs dictates the protections. They're the ones calling out um, assignments in the run game. They, they have a little bit more on their plate than a typical center may have in a given offense. You know, centers generally are doing a lot of this for most of but it, in Kyle's offense, it's a little bit more uh, responsibility. So you know, I know the name that we we talked about and that a lot of people on, uh, you know, in 49ers Twitter and all those areas have talked about is Alex Mack of the Falcons. You know, uh, he had his best season of his career with Kyle in 2016, uh, run blocking grade over 90 in back-to-back -back seasons then. Uh, you know, a, a guy who for the most part has stayed healthy. He played in 15 games last year, but for the most part, he's logged over a thousand snaps uh, five out of the last six years and last year. He, got, he had 972, so he was only 28 shy. If he plays 28 more snaps, uh, he's at six years in a row at over 1,000. So he does give you that stability there. 
the concern for me is that his run blocking grade has declined each of the last five seasons. And it's been a steady decline, but it's starting to kind of drop off fairly severely. He did allow a good amount of pressures last year, but again, it could have been just the right. I, I haven't watched enough Falcons tape. That's something I need to do in the next couple of weeks um, to really put all the blame on him. But if we're going just purely off of uh, pressures assigned, he wasn't great. Um, I believe if I recall correctly, the number off the top of my head, I think it was 25, 27. So it was between 25 and 30, somewhere in that range. And it's at a point where, if Kyle and the offensive staff, the front office, whatever, is feeling that they're going to get value out of him knowing the cadence and knowing the verbiage of the offense and understanding um, what protections to call out and what uh, assignments to assign and and how to just really be, you know, not necessarily a leader in the sense of that, like, you know, Trent Williams isn't or Mike McGlinchey isn't, like team captains. Like those guys are leaders too. It's just a little bit different responsibility. So if the 49ers feel that he's bringing – Somebody that they can not only trust to play games, but somebody that they can trust to sort of be like, sort of like almost spot. like a a player coach type of thing. Not not exactly, but to understand what the offense needs to do, what other guys' responsibilities are, and really be able to determine that. Um, and the the reason why I, I think that's massive that you bring that up is because he's played twice with Kyle, right? He's played in he played in Atlanta under Kyle and in Cleveland. If I if I remember correctly, um, and I and I know that he was in Atlanta at least. He was really, really good, and that was the year where the the Falcons' offense was one of the best offenses ever. And he had a, a ton of credit went to him. Um, and you brought up just like how his run blocking, his grade has gone down. Um, and and we were talking about this before. It, it makes sense. I mean, he's he's an aging player. Uh, he's he's already had his his big deal. I think. And this was his final year, I believe. Let's see. Last year, he was making about what was it, ten million dollars, um, like eight to ten million dollars. He had a cap hit of ten and a half million dollars. So he just—he's coming off of a five-year, forty-five million-dollar contract. I don't think he's—he's he's at that value anymore. He's thirty-four years old. Um, definitely not the same same caliber player. But I do think bringing that value of just being able to understand, being able to be that sort of player coach at the center position when it's so important on on understanding what the protection is going to be, what the blocking scheme calls for, what both of those guard spots seem to do next to him, especially the right guard. I mean, you just brought up that you think that's a massive need. Well, if you have a guy next to you that is, let's let's say that they bring Alex Mack in, just hypothetical on you know one year, $3 million deal, and they draft their starter at right guard, which I don't know if this would happen, but you would want a guy like Alex Mack to really mentor that guy, especially if he's an early an early pick and they want him to develop into the guard of the future. You know, they want him to be they want that guy to be their guard for the next eight years. That's a that's a great guy to have next to them. But once again, it's the it's the cost aspect of it. How much is that worth? And, and that's where it gets a little difficult. Um, is there is there a value or a contract that is kind of like your bar for signing Alex Mack? I wouldn't go over three and a half million a year. Um, it's just, he's getting older. He's 30. He'll be 35. I think this coming up season. Um, I think 35 or 36. I know he's let me double, double, check, double check because it's going to bug me. Um, he's 35 now. Sorry. He'll be 36 in November this year. Um, I think that offensive linemen definitely can play a little bit later into their thirties than other positions generally can. And, 
the way, you know, modern science, modern sports medicine, all these things, like you can extend the career a little bit longer, like 30, you know, 36 is may not be as old as it would have been 20 years ago, but I'm also not, you know, like it's a stopgap. It's something for a year or two that you can probably count on. But again, you have to factor in the fact that his production has declined each of the last few years. And that's to be expected. You regress with age as you get older. He had a very good peak, which, you know, you can expect from a player in their prime. You just need to know that you're not getting a prime Alex Mack. And that's the thing that I've seen from a lot of discussions that people have this assumption that you're just somehow going to pair him with Kyle and you're going to get 2016 Alex Mack. Like, sure, he might he might look better in a system that he's, he's succeeded in before. I totally see that point. But it's unrealistic to expect a guy to play at the age of 36 the way he played at the age of 30 and 31. Like, it's just not – it's just – it's nature. You get older, you know, your joints flare up a little bit more. Uh, it's a little bit harder to work, uh, you know, not to say work, but it's a little bit harder to um, just put out that same production. It's life. We get older. Athletes are no exception, no matter how hard these guys train. Uh, so I am at the end of the mindset where if they can do something like think again for like two years, like eight million. And they were able to have his lower cap hit this year, push some money back next year when they really do have a lot of guys coming off the books and they have. Uh, a little bit more cap space to work with. I would be okay with that. And again, my opinion here really doesn't matter. It's ultimately what Kyle wants to do. And if Kyle feels that this guy can come in, he's going to give me consistency at the position. He's going to, for the most, you know, obviously freak injuries happen. But for the most part, he's proven to be durable. And he's a guy that I can go out there that I know is going to call the right protections, is going to be able to protect whoever the quarterback may be behind him and give them a better chance to win. So I, I'm not totally against it, but if it comes to a situation where you're paying, having to pay him five, six, you know, I don't think we get to seven, but five, you know, if it was like two years, 12 million or yeah, two years, 12 million, something like that, I might look at keeping Ben Garland instead. Uh, I think that Garland is just as good in the running game. Uh, the pass blocking is a little different. Mac had a really bad year last year, but it was kind of an anomaly uh, and it was a strange year all around. So I yeah, try not to base too much evaluation on 2020. Well, especially for a guy that's a lot older too, that has his like a, a veteran player like Mac, who's going to be thirty six next year, having his normal routine completely thrown out of alignment is is a big like a big uh, dilemma for him, I guess, um, and that's a huge setback early on in the year too. So I also wonder like kind of how he improved as the year went on. Like was that something where he struggled, you know, the first four games or first six games, then got like you know became his old self? Because that could be something that would be pretty telling as well. But you did mention that his his like run blocking grade and, and we talked about PFF grades earlier that, you know, you shouldn't base everything off of them. But just looking at that and going like, OK, like he's been viewed as a guy that's been slowly diminishing, diminishing in the run blocking game. I completely agree that you can't sign him going, oh, look, we're going to get this elite center. We have this elite center now. No, I think it's it's more of a move to have a guy that's reliable, because even though we've talked about the age, me and you talked about before, he's been an anchor wherever he's been at. He's missed very few games throughout his career. You, I think he, you said he missed one game last year and he played all 16 in 2018 or sorry, 2019. Um, so he's, he's a guy that plays almost the full has almost played the entire season throughout his whole career. Um, so I think that's a big thing, especially for the 49ers and keeping that continuity on the offensive line um, because on the left, I mean, look at the left and the right side of the offensive line this year. You have, you have two tackles, one of them, I think we would agree that Trent Williams is the better tackle than, than Mike McGlinchey, but he has Lankin Tomlinson next to him. Mike McGlinchey has 
it seems like a new guy every couple weeks because someone gets banged up or someone has to kick inside or, you know, someone has to move. And we see Michael Lynch struggle a lot more. And, and there were other factors, you know, there was weight and whatnot. But it's a lot easier for Trent Williams when he knows the guy next to him has been there all year and is just consistent. He knows what he's going to play like. He knows what he's going to do. He knows how to play with him. And they have that that continuity there. And so I think if you bring in Alex Mack, that's a guy you can sign to for a two-year $6 million to two-year $8 million deal. Um, and he's there. He's the rock for those two years. You get the guy to develop behind him. I love it. Um, you brought up Ben Garland. So just to maybe go over real quick, like what do you see in Ben Garland? I just see a guy that's not going to cost a lot of money most likely. Uh, was good when he was in there. And again, this is, this is back to the philosophy of if you get a guy who's just decent at playing center, who's just not terrible, which Garland never has been. He's been he's been consistent when he's been there. Uh, he's been a steadying force uh, that you can rely on when he's been healthy and in, in on the field. I just don't like for me, there's certain positions I just don't think are worth sinking a lot of money into. And I've seen some things floated around that, you know, well, if they get better center play, then the tackle play will improve. And like, well, maybe that's true to an extent. I think it's more so just getting continuity than actual like improved play. I don't think Weston Richburg was anything to, you know, write home about in 2019. He was a solid player. He was consistent. But he wasn't, you know, he, he certainly wasn't worth the, the, the contract he was given, in my opinion. Again, that was at a time when the Niners had a bunch of cap space. They, Kyle showed how important that center position to him was when they they made that front office, made that deal, and they brought him in. But I just personally, like it's my philosophy, I just don't think that center is that valuable. I think that shoring up the tackle positions is, is far more important. And just get again, just getting continuity. Because unless you're Aaron Donald or DeForest Buckner, or a few of these just rare exceptions, it's really hard for teams to generate pressure up the interior. Um, so if you get, again, if you get a guy that's just semi-decent, it's pretty easy. The, the, the areas you really want to invest in are on the outside where these guys are going up against um, a little different breed of athlete in the edge rushers compared to interior linemen, and they're generally on an island by themselves, which is why, again, I would like I've seen some theories float around that they should let Trent Williams walk and sign Corey Lindsley. To me, that would be beyond stupid. Um, and that's no disrespect to Corey Lindsley or the people floating those ideas. I just can't see a scenario where you're sinking money into the center position and letting one of the best tackles, not only in the league now, but of all time walk when that position is far more important in my eyes. Yeah. Also Corey Lindsley, I don't know if we, we can just kind of put, do a side by side. I think you'd, you'd rather have the athlete of Trent Williams you know, pulling off the edge and, and lead blocking your way for Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. Uh, that, that's just me though. Um, but I, I agree, man. I agree. You, you would rather have rather pay both those tackle spots and really work on sealing the edge. Um, and, and that's something that not even just the tackles, but you look at like when George Kittle's on and off the field, if he's able to seal the edge, that run game looks so much different where not to say that the center position isn't valuable or anything, but I don't think it's, I don't think you have to have that elite player in the middle. It's not as important as having those elite guys on the outside, um, especially in the offense that the 49ers run. So I, I also like that you bring up Corey Lindsley. Um, I'm not the biggest fan on signing him. He's 29. He wasn't the best player over the, the, the a couple years before last year. And then last year he had an all pro season. And of course he's going to get broken off, but I think he's a prime candidate to, to kind of be, one of those guys that signs for a lot of money and then isn't worth the contract. And, you know, the team wants him cut or whatever down the road. And I don't wish this on Corey Lindsay. I, I hope he is successful. 
but that's just my opinion on him. And I, I like the Alex Mack deal. I also think it's it's totally reasonable to go come back with uh, Ben Garland, but I think having e- even both Ben Garland and Alex Mack, if you don't have to pay them that much money, I think that's the best case scenario in my opinion, just because if Alex Mack was to go down or Lincoln Tomlinson, or if they get another right guard and they're starting right guard, having Ben Garland to back up all of those positions, I think is really good because I think he's proven that he can be a really solid player in, and then 49ers offense and on, and on the offensive line. And I think he has a clear understanding of what his role is. Um, so I do like bringing him back a lot, but also Alex Mack three to $4 million a year, no more than two years though, <clears throat> because we have seen him his play diminish at least somewhat. So I, I like it though. Um, I think that him being, I guess, kind of like a, a mentor, him and Trent Williams, both being mentors to, uh, hopefully some youth on the offensive line. I think that could go a long way towards developing this offensive line, not only for 2021, but also just for the future and having, you know, some guys that, that fill these roles um, because we're talking about Trent Williams coming back right now, but it, we don't know how long he's going to be playing in the NFL. Like it could be only a couple years. So you might have a, a situation where say they did get an Alex Mack and they have an Alex Mack and a, a Trent Williams and they have them for the next two or three years. And then it's it. Like you got to find those guys to replace them. So I think, I think having a, a stop gag option is smart, but it's got to be someone that you can develop a player behind. So I think the the offensive line, I think they need to to acquire some overall talent there, and you know have some building blocks, but also have some depth behind some older players. So I think that having Mac there, I, I do like it. But um, thanks again, Jordan, for coming on. Uh, this was an awesome episode. I really like going over these guys. So many variables into this 49ers offseason and the NFL offseason as a whole. But it's it's Thursday today. We got six days until the offseason officially starts. But I believe that everyone can start negotiating and, and talking on either Sunday or Monday. So it's going to be exciting over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, thanks for having me on, dude. I had a, I had a blast. Uh, anytime, happy to come on. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, free agency, I think it'll be a little bit different this year than most years. It might be a little bit more close to the friends that you see in like NBA free agency where you get a lot more big names out there and a little bit more exposure. So it should be an interesting next, you know, seven to 10 days or so. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Jordan. I appreciate a lot. Anyone listening, uh, like rate review, subscribe, all that stuff. Um, if you're on YouTube, want to check out the podcast, that'll be linked. If you're on the podcast, um, I'll, I'll put a, a YouTube link in the overall podcast description. So make sure to check that out, but thanks for everyone for listening and I will talk to you guys soon.